Hey listeners, Christine and Maylee here. Though we are licensed medical professionals, nothing we speak on in the well conversation should be taken as health advice. These episodes are based on a review of current research available and well-known, frequently applied interventions used by professionals in the field. If you have a pre-existing medical condition, the information shared in this podcast may not be entirely safe or applicable for you. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before applying any changes to your health, especially if you have a pre-existing medical condition or are taking prescription medications. Welcome to another episode of The Well Conversation. I'm Dr. Christine. And I'm Dr. Maley. Today's topic is all about HPV. It is estimated that almost all sexually active people will be or have already been infected with HPV, but the majority are symptom-free. Although individuals may not have symptoms, the concern lies with future cervical cancer risk. Joining us today is leading expert on HPV, founder of Papilex, a supplement designed to support your immune system in response to HPV. Dr. Elizabeth Goldspink is a naturopathic doctor and wellness expert who formulates consumer products in the natural wellness sector and is a health coach to many of North America's leading CEOs and entrepreneurs. She graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, where she completed a doctorate of naturopathic medicine, focusing her training and research on women's health, longevity, and naturopathic oncology. She's a regularly featured wellness expert on CityLine and my longtime mentor. We truly have the expert on all things HPV. Welcome, Dr. Goldspink. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Maylee. It's great to be here on your podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. My pleasure. So why don't we just give some of the listeners a background on what HPV is? I'm sure many of them have heard of HPV, but if we can kind of give just general background. Yes, absolutely. HPV is actually the most common sexually transmitted disease. It's estimated that about 80% of our population has it or will acquire an HPV infection at some point in their lives. Now, in most people, they go through life symptom-free, but in a subset of people, it does cause symptoms. And so there are two subtypes of HPV. There are high-risk strains, and those are strains like 16 and 18, which cause most of the cervical cancers. They can also cause penile and anal cancer, and they can also cause oropharyngeal cancer, or cancer of the mouth and the throat. So those are the most concerning ones, of course, the high-risk strains, but there are also low-risk strains. So the most common ones are 6 and 11, and those ones cause warts. So in particular, genital warts, but all strains of warts, whether they're plantar warts or other skin warts, are all caused by the HPV virus. There are actually over 100 different strains of HPV. Yeah, I feel like I read a lot of news about HPV and all the research that's coming out. And every year it's like they find new, some new strains, which yes. thank God aren't causing any terrible side effects. The new ones, I mean, but I feel like more and more research is coming out on them and we're discovering more strains and hopefully no more high risk strains. But those high risk strains can be terrifying for people who find themselves HPV positive. So I know we've talked about some of the symptoms such as cancer or genital warts, but what are some of the other symptoms of HPV? How would you know as a patient that you had HPV? 
Yes, great question. So as a woman, we go for regular pap smears. So it used to be that every year a woman would go for a pap smear. And in Canada, adjustments have been made. So women typically go every three years unless they have an abnormal pap smear, in which case they would go more frequently. So what happens is a woman, often a younger woman, you know, under the age of 60, we'll say, will go in for her pap smear and find out that she has abnormal cells on a pap smear. So abnormal cells on a pap smear exist on a spectrum. So they're graded. So CIN1 is mild dysplasia, CIN2 is moderate, and CIN3 is high-grade dysplasia. And so abnormal cells can either go away on their own, so you go for a repeat pap smear a year, a year later and find out, okay, they're all clear, or there's a risk of them progressing into higher levels of dysplasia. And so that's why we need screening so that we can catch this early because the best thing that you can do to prevent cervical cancer is screening. Catch it early, go for your regular pap smear test. I can't stress enough how important it is to go for regular pap smears because that is instrumental in preventing rising rates of cervical cancer. And then what women are told when they go in and they find out they have abnormal cells is that the standard of care is to watch and wait. So if you've got you know, CIN1 or the lower grades of mild to moderate dysplasia, you're told, we're going to watch and wait, go home and come back in six months to a year. Now, this is where there's a huge opportunity for women. So go home and watch and wait. So what happens? The woman goes home. She's told that she has abnormal changes in her cervix and now she has to watch and wait. And she's equipped with no information about anything that she can do that can actually alleviate these abnormal changes so that can actually potentially reverse them or make a positive impact so that when she goes for her follow-up, there's a higher chance that she would have a regression back to normal. And so she goes home and she goes on Dr. Google and searches for all types of you know, information, gets fed misinformation and disempowering information, and then she's terrified. So I've seen this thousands of times and it's deeply upsetting to me because there is so much that can be done. And it is a great opportunity for you to make some adjustments to your diet, your lifestyle, to take some targeted supplements that can actually help reverse the condition naturally so that when you go back in, you have a lower chance of needing a more invasive procedure like a leap procedure or a comb biopsy down the road. And so this is where I'm really passionate is about empowering women to make these adjustments that can be made during the watch and wait period so that they can actually get HPV clearance and that becomes more likely for them. Yeah, and that's amazing. I think it's one of the few conditions where it's not even where the individual has to choose between conventional or exactly. a, more of a lifestyle approach. It's you're going to be doing nothing, watching and waiting, or maybe increasing your risk. And we can talk about things that increase risk. But this time and it, it gives you enough time six months to a year you can make some really solid lifestyle changes and so I think HPV is one of those conditions that this is where we really can help as naturopathic doctors to give patients that information and really make lifestyle changes that will decrease their risk and then also have several other positive impacts on their overall health. Absolutely. And what you just said is key is it's not this or that. We're not saying conventional or naturopathic. We're saying you're watching and waiting. So do something proactive while you're watching and waiting. And that will not only influence your cervical health, it will influence your entire health. It will influence your entire being. When you're making better lifestyle choices, when you're you know, sleeping better, when you are exercising more, when you're making 
positive shifts to your mental health and your coping mechanisms around stress. When you are eating a more nutrient-rich diet, more fruits and vegetables, this isn't only going to have a positive impact on your next pap smear. This could change your life and this could be the catalyst for something really positive for your future, right? And prevention of all diseases. Yeah, as we know, as naturopathic doctors, we're really big on preventative medicine. And this is truly one of the best examples of where prevention is key. And like you said, it's not a choice between conventional and naturopathic medicine. It's that conventional medicine has told people with HPV that we watch and wait until we see any progression, until it gets worse. And this is kind of at a stage where it's so important to make these changes. And like you said, Elizabeth, things like patients can flip their entire lives around by making some simple lifestyle changes in response to this watch and wait. So that's amazing to hear. Okay, so Elizabeth, I know we talked about 80% of all sexually active individuals may have HPV at some point in their life. And it's usually we talk about this condition in women. So can we talk about HPV in men for just a brief moment? So what is their role with HPV? Great question. So we're actually seeing increasing rates of oropharyngeal cancers in men. So as we are seeing cervical cancer rates go down in North America, in women, we are seeing this increase in oropharyngeal oropharyngeal cancers in men. So it is concerning. And a lot of these oropharyngeal cancers are caused by the HPV virus. In men, you can also see penile cancer and anal cancers caused by HPV as well. The challenge with men is they're not going in for an annual pap smear or you know, a, a pap smear every three years for screening. And there is no good screening that's currently recommended for men by the CDC for HPV. So there's a number of things that men can do to protect themselves and also to protect the women who are their partners. Number one, vaccination helps to protect everyone for men and women. And we have seen, if you look at the data, you can actually see a reduction in instances of cervical cancer with vaccination. So I think getting that program widespread for men and women is helpful. And in terms of additional measures, I mean, using a condom does help to protect against HPV. It's not 100% preventative because there is still skin-to-skin contact, but it certainly does help. Having fewer partners is helpful as well. And disclosure, if a man does have a low-grade experience with a low-grade lesion, like a 6 or 11 that causes genital warts, full disclosure of that. So all of those things can be helpful. And I know you said there isn't a testing option that's recommended by the CDC for men. I know in Europe, they offer HPV tests very frequently to men and women. I think a while ago, the UK had a large HPV outbreak. And so now they're doing a lot of public health and health promotion for HPV tests. You can now get these HPV tests shipped to your house. I think they had this promotion a while back where they were handing out flyers where you could get a free test. I think they were called the EV tests, where you ship it to your house, you take a sample, and then you can send it back and then they'll send you your results right to your house. So you don't actually have to go into the doctor because I know that's actually a barrier to care for a lot of people. People don't want to have to go in to see their medical doctor and admit, hey, I just want to get tested. I want to make sure that I'm safe. Or I think I've come in contact with someone who said they may be HPV positive. I'd love to get this test because there is still so much stigma around it. So what do you think about the HPV test that Europe is offering? I think that's pretty neat. I mean, over here in North America, I know that the CDC has no approved test for HPV in men. So I think it's fascinating that they're doing that over in Europe. And that's not something that I know too much about. I don't tend to follow the European regulations too much, but I will now that you've brought that to my attention. That's great to know. So we discussed that if an individual has cervical dysplasia 
and the watch and wait period is around six months to one year. So if that individual goes back, they have another pap and the cervical dysplasia is still present. And I know that we talked about this as graded. What is the next step for that individual? And can you kind of walk us through those later on steps? Maybe if someone has had an abnormal pap and maybe they are waiting to go into their next step. And there's, I know that sometimes there can be a lot of kind of anxiety and fear around that. And some women just choose not to go back. And I know that's a huge risk for cervical cancer later on. So maybe can we walk through the later on steps for women? Yes, absolutely. And it's so important for women to go for that screening. And I understand it can be a scary experience to go back and be told that there may be a progression or things may have gotten worse, but it is so important because really that screening and that knowledge is what will prevent against cervical cancer. So I can't encourage women enough to go for that screening and to continue that screening. What happens if things progress to a higher level of abnormal cervical changes is that there are surgical options, there are laser therapy options. We can use cryosurgery, which freezes abnormal cells. We can use a LEAP procedure, which uses electricity to remove affected tissue. There's also a procedure called a cone biopsy, where a piece of the cervix is removed. Obviously, all of this is quite invasive. In some cases, it's necessary because the alternative is for things to progress further and go towards a cervical cancer diagnosis. So these are often necessary. In my experience, if you find out you have abnormal cells on a pap smear and it's low grade, you know, CIN1, you can do a lot of things proactively so that things do not progress to a level where you require those surgical and uh, invasive interventions. So like I've mentioned, I've seen thousands of different cases over the years as a practitioner that do not progress or that regress where the HPV is cleared from the system and where the cervix goes back to a normal finding on a pap smear. So my encouragement is for people to take action when they first find out they have those abnormal cells and that they you know, do a combination of diet, lifestyle, and targeted nutritional supplementation to reverse things back to normal. But In terms of actual screening and follow-up, it's essential that you follow your doctor's uh, screening protocol. And at some point, if these conventional treatments become necessary, I highly advise doing them. And so I know you were talking about some of these nutrition, diet, or lifestyle things that people can change while they're watching and waiting. Can we go into a little bit of discussion on that? And of course, we'll be touching a bit on Papalex as well. So during this six month to a year watch and wait period, what are some of the main lifestyle considerations that you think people should be considering if they have this HPV positive diagnosis? Maybe they have abnormal cells, which is kind of the lowest risk in an HPV positive scenario. So what are the main lifestyle considerations you think someone should be taking in this case? First of all, go after the really low-hanging fruit. So some people are still smoking cigarettes or smoking anything of any kind, and smoking increases your risk of persistent HPV symptoms and cervical dysplasia. So quit smoking if you're a smoker. Reduce alcohol consumption if you drink a lot of alcohol. Reduce the consumption of sugar simple sugars, refined sugars, things that quickly turn into sugar in your blood. And the other one is oral contraceptive use. It's worth having a discussion around that because a lot of people don't know that the birth control pill 
can lead to HPV symptom persistence. And it's thought that part of the mechanism of that is the fact that it reduces key minerals from your body, including folic acid. And folic acid, when you have it in a high amount in your blood through a healthy diet, is protective against HPV. So, you know, considering options around the birth control pill if you have persistent HPV is also a worthwhile thing to do. And after looking at those low-hanging fruit then the things that you can optimize with diet are increasing fruit and vegetable consumption, ensuring that you're getting an abundance of phytonutrients in your diet. That's very, very key. Reducing consumption of flowers and in the place of whole grains instead, ensuring that you're getting enough protein, eating anti-inflammatory foods like wild-caught fish. Those are all key things to implement in terms of dietary changes when concerned with HPV. And lifestyle-wise, ensuring that you're getting daily movement whatever form that takes, whether that's a brisk walk or, you know, you're doing some type of strength training or yoga, but some type of daily movement is essential to help your body to optimally detoxify. And then the last thing is optimization of how you're dealing with psychological stressors. So managing that optimally because your psychological stressors can have an impact on your physical body. So ensuring that you are coping as well as possible and having outlets such as meditation, being out in nature and these different things that can help with peace of mind as well. Those are great. And if anyone wants some insight and research into how nature can help your mental health, check out our episode on nature and wellness. So let's go into a little conversation about why you started Papalex, what Papalex actually is, and some of the new things that Papalex is bringing to the market, like the AHCC by Papalex product. I always say Papalex started itself. I didn't start that. So what happened was my best friend back in 2008 was uh, having repeated abnormal pap smears and was progressing from CIN1 to CIN2. And the persistence and the escalation of the abnormal cells was very concerning. So she said to me, can you help? At that time, I was a medical student. So I spent weeks delving into all the research on PubMed and the Cochrane Medical Database, printing all types of research papers. I booked consults with experts in the field on her behalf. I bought all the books that contained different protocols. Tori Hudson, Dr. Tori Hudson is a pioneer in this. And there were a few others out there whose materials I synthesized. And what I did was I put together 10 different products that she should take every single day. And so those were folic acid, green tea extract that was standardized to catagens like EGCG, astragalus, which is an Asian herb that boosts and fortifies the immune system, reishi mushroom, which has been used for centuries in Asian medicine. And there are two human clinical trials showing strong clearance of HPV from reishi mushroom, selenium, vitamin C, vitamin E, and lycopene which reproducible studies have shown are low in the blood of women who have persistent HPV symptoms. And the last thing is sulforaphane from broccoli sprouts. So sulforaphane breaks down into the metabolites I3C and DIM, and you can get some broccoli sprouts and broccoli sprout extracts that are really high in sulforaphane and in these different types of metabolites that are found in the data to protect against abnormal growth of cervical cells. So I had given her all of those different things and she was taking them daily. And four months later, she had seen her first regression after years of persistent abnormal pap smears. So the relief that she experienced from that was immense. 
And she came to me and said, listen, there's thousands of other women who also have this challenge and are also told to watch and wait. So what if they had a proactive approach like this that they could enact? They don't have someone who can synthesize all the data for them, do consults with experts and put together something like that. Plus it costs so much money to buy these 10 things, but it cost me hundreds of dollars. So what about if you were to just put them all in one for women and they could get all the data and the information and the purity of these ingredients all in one place and then the cost could be much more cost effective, maybe 10% of the actual cost of buying all 10 things separately. And so I thought, okay, you know, that seems like it would add tremendous value. So let's try this out and let's bring it to market. So at that point, I went through, you know, the Health Canada procedures for getting regulatory approval and just put everything into one. Uh, to make it easy for women. And it ended up being a huge success because it was just easy for women to find everything that the data shows was well curated for HPV in one place at an inexpensive price point. And that was about 13 years ago. That's truly an amazing story. And I love how you worded it at the beginning that you didn't start Papalix, it started itself, which when you explained the story, it, it truly did sound like it. you had everything ready. And then someone just said, hey, why don't you just put this all into one capsule? And that's exactly what you did. And I love all the ingredients of Papalix. And I know a lot of people say, why don't instead of taking a broccoli sprout extract, why don't I just eat a lot of broccoli? And I always tell people to eat the amount of broccoli that these supplements will give you, you'll get sick of broccoli before you reach even a fraction of the therapeutic dose. So I love having these, you know, potentized extracts available where, you know, I don't have to go out and eat 40 cups of broccoli and you know become sick to my <laughs> stomach with just raw broccoli or slightly steamed broccoli. I can just, you know, pop a capsule and it has all these 40 cups of broccoli that I could need to help me with my immune system or with HPV or whatever someone might be looking into. And I think it also speaks to the compliance piece of it too. So as you were saying, there are 10 separate supplements. And if anyone has tried to stay on a supplement schedule, if you're not used to it, it can be a lot. And I think taking 10 supplements every day, or like Christine mentioned, trying to get it through food, it may work. You can do it. It's not that you can't. It's that will you do this and will you do it every day and will you do it for a year? And I think that's what's so important because we need to stay on top of it. And I think that's what's amazing about Paplex is you can take the same capsule every day and easily incorporate it into your routine. So compliance is another huge one. So the other thing is everything that's in it, again, like we said with the nutrition, lifestyle, everything you're doing in that six months to a year, it's going to improve your overall immune health. It's going to improve your overall health. It's not that you're taking a supplement that or a medication that, okay, it will help my HPV, but it's going to cause these side effects and I'm going to, you know, deplete these minerals by taking it. So obviously there's risks taking anything, but overall you're just, again, enhancing your overall health. So that's amazing. Absolutely. And sometimes people will in addition to taking Papalex, you know, top it up with other supplements. So the intention with the nutrients is to get someone up to having a good baseline status. So we put 100% of RDA, but some people would like to have a thousand percent of RDA of vitamin C. And so they'll top it up with, you know, a whole food supplement like acerola cherry or camu camu or just straight up ascorbic acid. And so there is an opportunity for people who want more to, you know, top up in addition to what's contained in Papalex. But the intention with Papalex was what you said is to make it as easy for people to be compliant and to, to take everything necessary to get a good baseline status of the nutrients and a good dose of the herbs that have 
have specific data showing that they're beneficial as well. Amazing. And also, I'd love to talk a little bit about medicinal mushrooms. I know they're hugely trending right now. I think at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, retailers, wholesalers, everyone was running out of these medicinal mushrooms because everyone was trying to get their hands on them. And I know you just recently launched AHCC by Papalex, which Maylee and I being naturopathic doctors and being research junkies, we know a lot about the actual proprietary ingredient of AHCC. But I would love for you to be able to explain explain to our listeners the the magic behind AHCC. Yes, I am obsessed with medicinal mushrooms. They are my favorite class of plants, although I love all plant-based medicine. I think that we are entering a new frontier where we're going to learn about medicinal mushroom benefits and have new data on all types of conditions that respond well to medicinal mushrooms. And HPV is one of them. So we've got Dr. Judith Smith, who is out of the University of Texas, who's published a couple of pilot trials on AHCC with women who have HPV. And she's actually just completed a phase two trial. And she hasn't yet published that paper. It's due out any month, but she has disclosed to me that the results have been positive. And so what she's found is 67% HPV clearance from women who take three grams of AHCC for a period of three to six months. So the dosage is three grams, the time period is three to six months, and she's seeing regression levels in these human clinical trials of 67% with AHCC. So AHCC is from the mycelium of shiitake mushrooms, which in addition to being a medicinal mushroom is also a culinary mushroom. And that is one of the mushrooms, and there are several, that has good human data on the regression of HPV. The other mushrooms that have good human data are reishi mushroom, which I use in Papalex. And there's a third called Coriolis or turkey tail that we have actually growing around here in Canada this time of year. I also share the love for medicinal mushrooms, and I know that they're only getting more and more popular with time as well. And they do so many amazing things for your immune system, like anyone with any sort of viral condition or looking to boost their immune system, especially in these times. I feel like medicinal mushrooms are the number one area where I go to, where it's something easy. You can take it in a powdered tea. There's a lot of delicious powders and drinks that you can buy with these potentized mushroom extract, like the company Four Sigmatic. They make very high quality mushroom products. And I feel like people are just lapping it up. And it's something that I was lucky enough to grow up with being from a culturally Asian background. My mom always putting these weird looking mushrooms in our soups, always making these wonderful side dishes where I definitely didn't appreciate them as much as I do now as a child, just being like, oh, these mushrooms are squishy and these mushrooms are wrinkly and I don't really want to eat those. But now that I look back, I'm like, oh, those were truly, it was medicine in in front of me, food as medicine on my plate. And I wish I was, you know, smarter and wiser as a child to appreciate that. But I'm so happy that people are really realizing the true impact and efficacy of medicinal mushrooms today. Yeah. And in Asia, it's used in cooking, as you mentioned, in soups. When I talk to my friends, you know, in Hong Kong or in mainland China, they grew up with that, with their parents adding, you know, reishi mushroom into soup or all these different medicinal mushrooms into change of season soup to help fortify the immune system during seasonal changes. So I'm glad that it's coming to North America. And I think one thing worth noting, when I go through brands on Amazon or that are available direct to consumer, there is so much out there that is not high quality mushroom. So I advise people to talk to their ND before taking a medicinal mushroom and get a specific brand recommendation. You mentioned Four Sigmatic. They're fabulous. So that's a good go-to brand. But 
there are a lot out there who are basically what they do is, you know, when you're having a mushroom, it's the fruiting body that you're consuming. It's the actual mushroom itself. And what a lot of brands are doing is they're using the mycelium, which is the roots that grow down from the fruiting body. And often the mycelium will be growing into either wood or into grains. And what they'll do is they'll put together a product made out of biomass. They'll call it mycelial biomass, where they'll mix the wood or the grain together with the mycelium, and there's very little fruiting body. And those products have a lower beta glucan content in them than a really high quality potent medicinal mushroom compound does. So one thing to look for is fruiting body instead of mycelial biomass. And a second thing to look for is a high beta glucan content. So something over 20% typically will show you that that mushroom is really bioactive. It's the beta glucan compound that interacts with your immune system, increases your NK cells, your dendritic cells, and all these different um, immune activating cells. My next question was what to look for in a mushroom supplement. So that's very helpful. So every episode, we ask our guest three actionable items that listeners can do today. So maybe let's focus the actionable items for individuals who maybe have gone, had a path, and they have abnormal cells. And they're in that waiting range between six months to a year. And it doesn't have to be three, you can list maybe five if you can't narrow it down. But what are some things that they can do maybe start today to incorporate into their life? Start today with the low hanging fruit. If you're a smoker, quit. If you're drinking too much alcohol, which I would characterize as more than one serving a day, reduce. If you are having too many simple sugars, which do not optimally support your immune system, reduce sugar in your diet. Increase fruits and vegetables in your diet. Count them out, ensuring that you're eating five to 10 every day. Count your servings. Ensure that you're having either a fruit or a vegetable with every meal so that you're getting an abundance of phytonutrients. Consider drinking some green tea, some sencha green tea, which is high in EGCG and these catagens that have been found to be protective against cervical cancers and other cancers as well. So get some sencha green tea in your life. And then take these key nutrients that have been found to be low in the blood of women with persistent HPV infections. So those are lycopene and carotenoids, vitamin C, vitamin E, selenium, and most importantly, folic acid. So ensure that you have an abundance of those either through your diet or that you're supplementing with those. And then consider other key nutrients that have good HPV data behind them and specifically human data and consider including those in your life. So we talked about HCC as a mushroom option, reishi, Coriolis, astragalus as a great immune booster, and sulforaphane from broccoli sprouts or from broccoli sprout extract. Amazing. And like Dr. Goldspink said earlier, it's very important to consult with your naturopathic doctor, number one, to see if you should actually be taking these supplements. And the dosing of them is really important. It's something that naturopathic doctors you know, study for four years of their life and onwards throughout their careers. And also quality of supplement is very important as well. Just like Dr. Goldspink was saying, some of these direct-to-consumer products can be very low quality and actually not giving you or your body the nutrients in their available form as you need. So definitely important to consult with your healthcare practitioner before starting any new supplement. I'm glad you said that, Christine, because I think that it's actually, you know, if you can afford the services of a naturopathic doctor, this is a great journey to go on alongside your naturopathic doctor, because we're talking here general advice. We're not giving any specific medical advice on this podcast. Everything is very general, but your naturopathic doctor can personalize everything to you because you're always going to have other things going on 
with your health and other health goals, things you want to optimize alongside this. So seeing a naturopathic doctor to help guide you along this path, I highly, highly recommend. And I'm open to making recommendations. People will often email me and say, you know, I'm, I'm in this area. Can you recommend an ND? So people can reach out to me for referrals to NDs in their area, NDs who are very knowledgeable about this. And I am happy to provide those referrals. How can people reach out to you if they want to connect with you about, just like you said, asking for referrals or if they might have some more questions about HPV? Can they reach out via social media or through your website? Absolutely. Through my website, through social media. I'm only on Instagram, but that's another channel that I can be reached through. So yeah, we'll drop Dr. Goldspink's, I believe it's at Dr. Goldspink. We'll drop her handle in the podcast notes and also on our social media. Great. It's at Dr. Gold and then the letter S and then the color pink on Instagram. Love the explanation with the colors. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Goldsfink, for joining us on our podcast today, all about HPV. It was so informational, educational, and it was truly a pleasure having you on to discuss a topic that we've worked together on for so long. Thank you both. And for our listeners, until next time, feel well, learn well. Thank you.